All right. Let's make this quick, because every second I'm here, you're stealing me away from more Magic the Gathering. <laughs> oh, dear. So, Lee, I've decided to take up crack this week. <laughs> what a coincidence. Me too. Mm. <laughs> man, crack sure is expensive these days. We'll see who's the richer man come the end of the year. <laughs> At least you might have experienced something. <laughs> mm. For once in my life, I might have felt something, I suppose, yes. Don't you feel the incredible high of crushing your enemies and Magic the Gathering? I've told you this anecdote. But I don't think I ever mentioned it on the podcast as such. Mm. I did have a, a brief uh, Magic the Gathering phase. A fling. Uh, yes, a, a brief dalliance mm. with it. I went to QCon, which is the the annual, I suppose, pop culture convention at uh, in Belfast. And uh, I decided to give it a shot. I bought a couple of starter decks. I bought some booster packs. Mm. Uh, I had some left over from the year prior. Uh, I came in. And I realized that, well, after failing to get a game, because uh, no one there is interested in playing a game except in a tournament context, so that mm -hmm. was difficult, mm -hmm. uh, I eventually got some very helpful, very kind gentlemen to sit down and play with. He explained to me that the cards that I had from the last year, the starter deck and the booster packs I had bought, had been rotated out of the current meta. Sorry, not out of the current meta, out of the current season, yeah, I suppose. yeah. And that uh, those cards were no longer accepted in the most widely played game mode, which is standard, I think. Mm -hmm. Because uh, apparently every season of cards is phased out. And that if I wanted to play using those cards, I would need to play the considerably more niche... House Rules. <laughs> House Rules. No, there's a name there for this game. There is a name mode, for but it. I can't, I can't remember it either. can't remember the name of it, yeah. And I thought to myself, these cards cost, I don't know, maybe 20 quid altogether mm -hmm. and that was also a very casual entry into this into the the game you know i could have easily paid a bit more to get better cards and i thought to myself what you people play what you have to make an entry purchase every season in order to not only be competitive but to play the game in any kind of head-to-head -head context mm. and uh, i looked around saw their unblinking eyes stare at you as you asked the, what should be an obvious question it felt like the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where like, that one person realizes that they're the only human being left. That sort of thing. Uh -huh. I went, you people are all fools! I'm not playing, playing into this game. See you later, suckers. And I got the hell out of there. <laughs> That's definitely the right attitude. <laughs> mm-hmm. The, the way I've discovered the best way to enjoy these card games is to just, like, what we you and I have done in the past for Pokemon, which is just, you have your decks, and you update your decks, but you just have a couple of friends that you play it with mm. on a casual basis. Oh, yeah. I mean... I certainly have no aspirations to ever get actively competitive with pretty much anything I do. <laughs> I know what's out there. They'll destroy me. <laughs> mm hmm You know, a couple... One year ago, the, the most recent QCon that I've been to, I decided... You know what? The cards that I've bought, the Pokemon cards I've bought, are recent enough where I can still use them before the rotation goes out. Mm. So what the hell? Why not? 
uh, I ran into a similar problem, which is that nobody wanted to play outside of a tournament context, including the 10-year-olds, which you have to imagine was very sad that's, that I couldn't even get the 10-year-olds to play. That's a debilitating blow, that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Eventually, I managed to coax some of them into playing games with me, at which point I was thoroughly destroyed, but I come to expect that. I didn't go in there expecting to win, well, maybe win one against a, a 10 year old but that did not come to pass <laughs> i did meet some very friendly people who had just bought who already had all the cards they needed from the season except for one or two and they bought a whole bunch of booster packs and they're like hey uh, we don't need these these are duplicates you can have them and i went psych i'm taking these yeah, wow are you getting into magic the gathering the card game or the digital card yeah, game a little of both as it happens Ah, so you, so if I were to guess, you bought physical cards and it came with a QR code or something that gave you digital cards. Yep, exactly right, and that's how they get you. Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Maria got me. Uh, sorry again, man. What a what a miss, Maria. My wife, my wife, Maria. Just to start that. I over. was wondering if it'd be worth to rudely cut you <laughs> off to go. Who's that lady? <laughs> Always, we're doing a little. Um, it's just some way to tease out Christmas this year. So we're we're we've got our, our little makeshift Advent calendar. And for each second day of the calendar, we're giving each other a gift. You know, she takes Ooh. evens, I take odds. Uh, and then we give ourselves a budget to work in. Except, of course, uh, last night we cheated and we immediately gave each other the best thing that was coming to us. Oh, dear. <laughs> or, I'm not sure if I got the best thing that was coming to me, but I got a really, I got a good one, which was a like a starter deck for Magic the Gathering. She got a Nintendo Switch, so that, that made her feel terrible. Oh, yes. Because if there's one thing Maria, your <laughs> wife, your wife for Maria, loves, it's being heaped with expensive, prestigious gifts that she has no possible means of recipiating. Oh, uh, yeah. Expensive guilt. Recipiation pressure. It's, it, it, ain't it something? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be that as it may, I was instantly taken by the cards because a good couple of years ago, as I have just recently checked the box of the last... Magic the Gathering cards I bought for myself on a whim, much like you did one time ago. I got uh, a box of cards in 2016 and promptly did fuck all with them. I, I think I vaguely learned how to play the game, never played a game of it, uh, and I've just been holding on to these cards ever since. I was able to dig them up mercifully, I hadn't lost them, but I haven't done anything with them. Out of curiosity, I have to ask, you know, because if this turns out to be the case, it's going to be a real... A real killer podcast moment. It, are any of them called Black Lotus by any chance? I don't think so. No, because that's the most expensive and rare card uh, oh, that there man. is. And it's worth millions, I'm sure. Uh, I'm just thought, you know, you know, it's just exactly the kind of thing where, oh, uh, 20 something year old Lee Brady in looked in his attic and found a whole bunch of Magic the Gathering cards, and one of them was incredibly rare, excited, oh, yeah, yeah. a golden that's, ticket yeah, moment. Story. No, I went through them today. I'm pretty sure I've got nothing of interest or value. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were just... One was like a starter deck, and and then I seem to have a bunch of other random cards in it, so I must have got like a three-pack of boosters or something like that. Uh, but I, can't, I literally can't remember what I bought. I, I have a little box themed for Magic the Gathering and too many cards to go into it, so I must have done something. But now I've got two new starter packs that are in season for the year. Because mm. I've got the little mark that says 21 on them, so they're saying, yeah, that's 2021 sorted. You're, you're in. Yeah. Uh, uh, have fun uh, trying to get a, an in-game tournament going in person in this year. Fuck no. I, well, I'll get to that anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, so anyway, they came with the code, and I'd always been interested in Magic the Gathering Arena, 
Uh, I've heard a good deal about it, and I thought, well, that's a cool way to get people into that. I didn't hate Hearthstone, so I would happily try the the grown ups version of it. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I was I was left a bit sore from um, my attempt to play Yu Gi Oh digitally, which I did last year. I got the Switch version of Legacy of the Duelists, I believe it's called. Uh, that game just doesn't work <laughs> digitally because most of the cards, uh, any card worth having, allows you to basically use it at any point instantly as your opponent is playing, which. In person, it's very organic. They play a card, you respond with a card from your hand, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, bam. But in d- digitally, you are <laughs> you are prompted every couple of seconds to say, would you like to intervene right now? Would you like to... How about now? Because Yu-Gi-Oh! is a game of infinite phases. Mm-hmm. And digitally, it just didn't translate at all. Mercifully, I found Magic the Gathering Arena. I played the first couple of rounds of the tutorial, found it very smooth, translating very well. And uh, and then I've now I've spent the rest of the day playing the tutorial for each card type and base card deck for each each color, and uh, that's taken about six hours of my day. <laughs> but I got re- I got right the fuck into it, and by the end of it, I was like, I understand this game. And now, having done that, I actually get to look back on the cards that Maria got me, and I'm like, oh, I actually know what these do. I know how I'm going to be able to play with these fucking things. And thus, it's working. It's working. They've got me. I'm thinking about buying digital cards. <laughs> I'm kidding. I think uh, digital is probably the way to go yeah. these days. I would think so too. I think the um, I think the system's really good. I've played a lot of the online multiplayer side of it already, and uh, I think the ranking system's very even. I've been winning on and off every match or so. Sometimes a couple in a row. Sometimes lose a couple in a row, but. Never anything that feels too drastic. So they're obviously pairing me with people of my skill, which is none. Uh, and also not pairing me with professionals, because I briefly glimpsed at who is top streaming on Twitch at the moment, playing Magic the Gathering. And that's a different game. <laughs> it's a straight-up different game. <laughs> which exposes the problem of Magic the Gathering, as with all these card games, which is, even digitally, there is a, a meta which requires you to get all the the best cards, which requires a remarkable investment of just sheer burning away at booster packs just to get a copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a sucker's game is what it is. Yeah, but uh, but I've been having fun. Uh, I'm really glad to have another card game because, uh, I, well, I've spent this whole year, I've barely played any Pokemon, which I really love. That's because I haven't been able to see anybody and I don't have the digital version of it because I played it a little bit and I found it a little clunky. <laughs> that reminds me of an interaction I had at the the Pokemon card game hall I was at, mm. where uh, I I, I ha- don't have the digital version of the game, but I've been keeping hold of all the, yeah, the, the digital I've got QR about cards. Ninety of these fucking QR cards. Yeah, just in case. And and uh, I briefly offhandly mentioned to one of the ten year olds, or he noticed I had a part of them, and uh, he said, "Or oh, do you play the digital one as well?" And I says, uh, "No, I, I don't." And he says. Can I have them? And I said, no. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. I can change my mind any day, like kid. <laughs> yeah, just imagine me uh, placing my hand over the deck box and, like, possessively pulling it into my chest. You can't know. I might, you know, maybe. <laughs> this is very galling of me, considering it was probably the same day that those two nice gentlemen gave me all those cards for free. <laughs> 
I suspect this may come up again in the, the future court case as a character-defining <laughs> yeah. moment. Anyway, to wrap up Magic the Gathering, tutorials on Arena are really good. Recommended for anybody who wants to get into it, uh, because immediately I'm ingratiated. Uh, red decks suck. I don't care who, who says otherwise. I think they're fucking terrible. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, buying, buying nice real cards and getting sweet free boosters online, too, for your hassle, pretty good. Shall we do follow-up? <laughs> yes, I have some follow-up. Current internet punching bag, Alex Hutchinson. <laughs> your, your nemesis and mine. <laughs> had his Twitter banner revoked by the copyright holder, which was a a uh, an artist that did some fan art of a streamer. Uh, I think it was Jack Septicai, who streamed a game, one of Alex Hutchinson's games, and I guess he put a fan art of him in his banner. Because he out of appreciation, which is very funny when you consider that the man apparently thinks that streamers should get <laughs> fucked over Absolutely. even more than they currently do. <laughs> Brilliant. Which is why the fan artist revoked the copyright to the fan art and his banner. So for a while, it was just like a broken JPEG file. Just one more petty victory. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I noticed that we had a, a new jingle last week. Yes, that's right. Uh, I made that last week just out of out of a whim i guess i kind of have felt mm-hmm. like we've we needed a lot more jingles and I, I i've just constantly been uh lacking in time to actually make something uh some new stuff but uh i found a little time last week and now uh, we got a little wild west sounding one Ooh, i uh, reserve some of those creative juices for the christmas season because uh, i suspect we'll be needing mm, a few oh yeah i mean that's a given that's a given Whenever, whenever you say, when if you want to do, you want to do the one episode, or you want a whole month of Christmas jingles, you let me know. I'm ready to flick. The, I'm, I'm ready to hit the switch. <laughs> I, I reckon we can, uh, we can do it Christmas decoration style, which is you put up the Christmas decorations in the second week of December or something like that. Something like that, or if you're me, last week. <laughs> Man, you know, when you're in your house all year round, you're just so sick of the fucking place. You just want something. You mm-hmm. just want a project, something to change the look of it a little bit. So I fucking put the Christmas decorations up absurdly early. Well, I can't record you that in this year. Since we're all are trying to avoid the virus. The T-Virus! Man, how have we not used that one yet? Video games! I thought it was too <laughs> on the nose. In other follow-up, I have found ourselves a Out of Context Kingdom Hearts account on Twitter. Excellent news. Very welcome news. <laughs> I wheeled through about four, and the biggest one, I, I think, they're on a hiatus at the moment, of, at time of recording, and I, I don't know, a lot of the content's a bit scatterbrained, but this this was no context Kingdom Hearts seems to be the best in the West. They've got the... They, that's just pure, unadulterated, goofy moments. No, no filler. Uh, so that's getting uh, my recommendation. If you want to check them out, they're at NewContextKH on Twitter. Sorry, I, I, I'm just glancing at their current timeline, and they've got a, they've got Kevin Bridges as Old Man Clue, or whatever the fuck. They've got a, they've got these two realistic ass actors <laughs> in the Tron Legacy world, yeah. and next to him is just fucking Riku with his dumb anime <laughs> face in like a dumb anime costume. And there's so much mileage to be had of actual human being next to anime creature. Kingdom Hearts is a series of contrasts. In other news on follow-up, I uh, just wanted to check in. Any uh, any update on uh, 
Lee is a Narutard. Yes, well, that was my one, but I wanted to segue it in. I had a feeling. Yes. All right, well, first of all, uh, I noticed that... Have you removed your Assassin's Creed VOD from Twitch? The whole thing with Twitch is that if it's been a stream over 14 days and you're not a higher-up tier member, it automatically deletes. Oh, that's me exposed, huh? Why so? I don't even subscribe to our own fucking Twitch channel. <laughs> if I had a if I had a stronger compulsion about the quality and quality of these streams, maybe I would download them and put them onto YouTube. But that takes time and uh, effort, and you would have to be really convinced that they were worth saving. Listener, if you would like to subscribe and dedicate yourself to a channel that its very own creators can't even be bothered to do the same, <laughs> tune in to twitch.tv forward slash Live. That's twitch.tv forward slash Live. Why were you looking for the Assassin's Creed video? Well, because... I have now dedicated myself to this bit where I search for <laughs> things that you have done in order to scathingly criticize them, which is a very helpful thing to do in a friendship, but alas, the content, the podcast demands it, Lee. <laughs> also, because I do enjoy watching your streams. Oh, that's good. That's nice. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't just watch them purely as a exercise in finding things to criticize you those for. Those are just the highlights. Don't, don't worry, rest Those are just the high notes. Yes, those are just, <laughs> those are just the good bits. <laughs> This week, my hard drive borked, mm. gave up the ghost, died, shuffled off the motor coil, went to join the choir invisible, etc., etc. Uh, this was probably due to the age. Could have been to the fact that, I don't know, maybe I was holding it wrong earlier that day. I still haven't completely ruled out the possibility that it was an act on sabotage mm. by behalf of uh, one Lee Brady in order to make sure I never find out the truth <laughs> about that Naritard comment. <laughs> Um, I'm pretty sure our listeners can now go back through all the episodes of Fector Man when this laptop has had a mention and already predict to the time and date which episode this thing was going to blow up. I have a new hard drive now, solid state, Ooh. smooth as silk. It's so uh, it sh- it's it moves considerably faster now. There's quite a bit of space on it. To give you an idea, on Audacity last week, the disk space remaining for recording was about nine hours. Mm. Uh, the disk space now remaining for recording is 67 hours and nine minutes. Ooh. So that's a good feeling. Absolutely. That's that's the kind of that's the kind of space where you start installing games that you know you'll never play. Ha- had a strange moment of black comedy as I went into the repair shop to pick up my laptop because. The guy there was just clearly in the middle of a very serious, very tragic phone call. Oh, no. <laughs> things like, you know, I, I, I just can't believe she would say things like that. You know, people, some people just tell lies and lies because they don't know any better. You know, it's the, it's the kid I feel bad for. Oh, really. You know, no. I'm devastated. I'm <laughs> devastated. Like, you know, his, his eyes were bleary and bagged. Which, uh, ordinarily, I would be reassured by, because in the IT industry, that's how you know the guy knows his stuff. That's how you know the guy's salted. I wouldn't trust anyone in the IT industry who has slept well. But uh, I was just left standing there two meters away with, like, my mask and visor on, just... Staring him out. Finding things to do. <laughs> and then he, and then he went, yeah, okay, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, I'll get in contact with the solicitor, don't worry about it. And then turned off the phone and says, yeah, what can I do for you? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, if, I was thinking to myself, this feels like some kind of curb your enthusiasm moment. Mm. Like, what am I supposed to do in this situation except to sort of look at the camera in an uncomfortable expression on my face? You look like a newly single man. 
Have you got an idea of a solid-state drive that can hold the most amount of porn? In any case, listener, you may be thinking, oh, so Lawrence doesn't have much of a week this week. Well, fear not! I have not been idle in this time. Mm. In fact, this gave me an opportunity to play a game that I've been meaning to play for some time. Uh, you know, I, I would like to say that whilst I didn't have my laptop, that I reconnected with the world outside, that I... <laughs> cast off my shackles and got in touch with the natural world and I saw that it was all just holding me back but I'm afraid I can't yeah, say that I'm not that person console. <laughs> no I was a, I was a, like a fretting father in a paternity ward the entire time that that thing was away from me so I'm glad to have it back I played Miles Edgeworth Investigations oh, the DS game ah, the Ace Attorney spin long touted mm-hmm. well well do tell now uh, it's about Five cases in that game. Uh, I'm about a quarter of the way through the fourth one now, so I'm, I, I think I'm far. I think of well, I mean, what else was I going to do this week? You know. So I've uh, made decent progress, enough progress to talk about it. On the whole, I quite like it. It's very good. Mm. I'm curious. Every time as I was playing, I was wondering about how I would be able to pitch this to you, and whether or not you would be interested in something like this. Because for every step forward in your mind, I suppose there would be a step back. Maybe. I mean, I was loving it, but uh, I was conscious of how you would feel about it if I were to ever... I'm glad we're at that point in the podcast where, as we play things, we are now solely considering how the other podcast hosts might react to our opinions on it. <laughs> Not even our opinions. I just mean purely in terms of, if Lee was playing this, I wonder if he mm. would like it. Should I recommend it? I suppose, for the benefits of the listeners, Ace Attorney is a visual novel series where you talk to witnesses and investigate crime scenes in a point-and-click way before going to a courtroom where you may interrogate witnesses, cross-reference them with the evidence, and in doing so, prove your clients innocent because you're a defense attorney and uh, find who the real culprit is and expose them in court. It's very good. It's very... It's anime in a very charmingly goofy mm-hmm. kind of way. Surprisingly light-hearted for the material. Hmm. Uh, Mauser Edgeworth Investigations is a spin-off where you control the, I suppose, main rival character, uh, Miles Edgeworth, who is a prosecutor, not a defense attorney, and this changes the dynamic in a in a refreshing way, I have to say, because in Ace Attorney, you're a defense attorney and you don't hold any kind of real power in any sense of the, any legal power, so uh, you basically have to beg for table scratch from you know friendly police mm-hmm. officers and, and your job is very reactionary yes you're basically clawing for every op- advantage that you can get mm-hmm. and you have to goad witnesses into talking to you via one means or another whilst in miles edgeworth investigations you are a prosecutor who collaborates directly with the police so you have people on the you're act- actively participating in homicide investigations and witnesses are legally compelled to speak to you in order to provide testimony. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, Miles Edgeworth is a very different person from Phoenix Wright. Like, uh, he's far more impatient. He's cool. <laughs> he, he, he's, no, I wouldn't say impatient, but he's cool. He's collected. He demands respect and admiration from the people around mm. him. People around him respect him, whilst Phoenix, as much as we love him, is very put upon and kicked about. He's like a kicked puppy. <laughs> Absolutely. I suppose the big main difference between the two, gameplay-wise, is that instead of a sort of first-person, you're... Uh, point and click you're looking around pre-rendered or pre-painted scenery and you're examining the rooms in order to find evidence in crime scenes and things like that in Malzar for Edgeworth investigations there are sprites in the top screen of your DS 
of the characters and you run around and you can examine things personally by walking up to them and hitting the exam button, examine button, or by talking to people who are there by walking up to them and hitting the talk button. Mm. Sounds a little more Danganronpa, where you kind of Mm. scroll around in 3D space finding people to talk to. I don't know very much about how Danganronpa plays, but uh, if I were to wildly speculate without having looked at it, I suspect that that fact is not entirely coincidental. Mm. <laughs> what's what's that? One feature of the Danganronpa that is unique? No, 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 no. <laughs> Ace Attorney got there in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. Also, there's not a lot of navigating. Like in Phoenix Wright, you would go... I'm done in this area, so I will navigate to another area, and there might be, I don't know, maybe two to potentially like eight areas that you can cycle between looking for clues. Just keep scrolling through them until the speech bubble comes up with the time, then you know you're in the right place. Miles Edgeworth Investigations is comparatively more, I suppose, linear, which is to its benefit in this context, because it means there's less faffing around. You cannot progress from an area until you have concluded your investigation in that area. Mm-hmm. So there's less, what do I do? Where do I go? I'm hunting for the flag in order to make this thing continue. It's not entirely exempt from that, but it's greatly alleviated by this. And uh, here is the change that I think will be the most divisive, which is that so far, there are no courtroom scenes. Oh, in four episodes of this? Four cases? Mm -hmm. You don't go to the courtroom and do the traditional cross-examining witnesses. Now, there are cross-examining witnesses, But uh, it takes place on the scene. It's more of a Agatha Christie approach to mysteries, where like there's one that takes place on a plane, for instance, where a body has been discovered on this plane. I'm a prosecutor. I'm asserting myself as the authority here. You go around investigating the crime scene and talking to witnesses on the plane, and you know that the culprit has to be one of the people on this plane. You know that sort mm-hmm, of thing. Mm-hmm. Now you still listen to testimony like you do in the courtroom scenes in Ace Attorney. And you still press them or object to what they say by presenting evidence and things like that. But it's presented as more of a... A lot of the time, you're not just doing it to witnesses or potential suspects. You're also doing it to fellow law enforcement people, Mm -hmm. like uh, detectives or other prosecutors. And the dynamic is interesting here because it almost feels like a sort of devil's advocate, like academic discussion between two professionals about hypotheticals in a given crime scene situation Mm. where uh, aha this is a very good theory but it's very speculative there isn't a lot of evidence backing up what you're saying allow me to present a alternative hypothesis Uh, here's how i think it went and you have to pick apart their theory which is a a refreshing change i mean it's less uh with phoenix right i suppose the pressure was always on you because you couldn't afford to slip up because you're constantly having to go on the offensive, whilst with this game, it's more of a, a sort of detached back and forth. Although that's not to say that there isn't a personal stakes involved, because there is. That's good. Sounds healthy. I suppose this is a, a pro that is good for you, but maybe not for the listeners, because you know what <laughs> I mean when I say this. Because you're playing as Edgeworth, you get to see a lot of character dynamics that you wouldn't otherwise get to see in the Phoenix Wright games. For instance, you get this, you get to hang up with Gumshoe a lot. Detective Dick Gumshoe, who is your put-upon, kicked puppy of a sidekick. That's, yeah, that would be a very fun dynamic. They've always... Because Edgeworth mm-hmm. always had a, a weird, like, with, withholding... Sundari. ...relationship to Gumshoe. In particular, uh, the second case comes up. And uh, as you select the second case, 
what is, who appears in the background of the chapter select then Francisca von Karma and you could positively hear me rubbing my hands with glee going oh I can't wait for this just like I want to see more scenes of Edgeworth and Francisca just talking and being like catty and passive aggressive but also kind of professional with each other it's great that's pretty good it's good to have because Phoenix is a very uh, passive character but Edgeworth was never really a passive character. He would he would be cutting. He would jump in and sort of hold you to task. Phoenix is very much, you know, once you once somebody tells him something, he reacts to it and and either as put upon or sort of you know desperate for more information. That's trying to trying to keep them in this conversation as long as they can before they fuck off and leave him to his own work. Mm-hmm. Edgeworth, yeah, more of a direct character, very. Uh, a lot bigger a personality in terms of getting information out so you can imagine that the 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 conversations are a lot more active yeah phoenix wright is only ever allowed to be a as acting as opposed to reacting whenever he finally discovers a bit of evidence that the prosecution doesn't know about and he gets to put them on the back foot for once yeah Mm -hmm. usually in the 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 third act of a case Mm -hmm. he gets to be the one pushing people's buttons and have them with their back to the wall and that's that reversal is very very satisfying it's like it's a slightly different dynamic in this one like uh for instance the case that i'm currently playing is like a, a flashback to seven years prior to the canon of the series and uh at one point there's a scene where motherfucking manfred von karma <laughs> walks onto the scene this this is some it- fan servicey shit love it <laughs> I wouldn't even. It's kind of fan servicey, I suppose. Yeah, it's but like, bringing back he, all the prosecutors from the previous games, even Karma. <laughs> That's great. It's, a, it's met. It is a flashback, and uh, he walks onto the scene, and it's in a courtroom for Edgeworth's first case, mm. where he's taking over on behalf of another prosecutor. And Manfred says to him, "I accept nothing less than perfection." And I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to be safe scumming my way through this one. I can already tell. Oh man. Because that's a character interaction you never really got to see in the mainline series, so I'm very happy to see it. I'm, I'm so far, I'm, I'm quite, I am sort of convinced. I think my problem with having played, because I went back to Ace Attorney not too long ago to play Trials and Tribulations, the third game, uh, which mm-hmm. is the my stalwart holdout in this series. I, I think the problem is each subsequent game that comes out that stars Phoenix Wright has less and less of character for him to work with he, he kind of he's 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 running out of material that is like personal to him really uh, and that's kind of i mean the second one i didn't feel like had a lot for him to sort of go through and the third one i'm about i think i'm in the third case now and i haven't felt a thing for his character maybe it changes I'm in the glad- last two. Oh, let me tell you apollo justice is all about exactly that but Apollo Justice isn't in the third game, is he? Apollo Justice is the game that takes place directly after Trials and Tribulations, where you don't play as Phoenix, you play as Apollo. Yes. I know I know a fair bit. I mean, I know that game starts out where... Isn't, isn't Phoenix... He's like a, he's the one you're defending? He's accused because he's, he's fallen out of favor, he's destitute, he's hit he's hard a, times. Phoenix Wright in that game is no longer attorney. He was disbarred because at some point in the backstory, he was caught presenting fabricated evidence. Oh, boy. They see that's an arc. Mm-hmm, that is an arc. <laughs> and it's foreshadowed a little bit in Trials and Tribulations. Really? That's interesting. It is. But yes, as I was saying, it's, uh, it sounds like... 
uh, Ace Prosecutor, whatever you call it. It was originally going to be called Perfect Prosecutor, but I guess they didn't want to get rid of the Ace Attorney trademark sort of brand recognition. Sure. So they changed it to Ace Attorney Miles Edgeworth Investigations. Oh, that's a terrible title. Um, no, it's a bit of the colon cancer, as they yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. But what, I, what I'm what i I'm liking in your description of it, it seems like a return to the, f- the, the structure of the first Phoenix Wright, where it was very much about these characters... And no matter how tedious a case got, you could fall back on the fact that you were personally invested in seeing the outcome of the story in relation to the people around you. Whereas I feel like mm-hmm. I've lost a bit of that as time goes on. It sounds like Edgeworth and all the characters, you're going to see bits and pieces of their lives far more intimately. And you never had a chance like that. And it sounds like it has a story to tell for Edgeworth where, uh, you know, like the second Ace Attorney game had basically nothing for Phoenix and a, a little bit for Maya, not a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. You didn't like uh, you didn't like Francesca. Oh, I loved Francesca. I absolutely did, and I loved her relationship to Funk Karma, but I, I or Manfred. But um, I, I I felt like that you know you only got bits and pieces that dripped through the story throughout. Where the vast majority of the time, your relationship to Phoenix, your character, and the people who you spent most of your time with, you've got a lot less to gain from there. They don't really have arcs in that game. For I, They just sort of are there in what is very much a sort of middle chapter in their lives. Mm-hmm. If you uh, if you got to that one stinger at the end of one of the cases in Justice for All where Edgeworth confront, confronts Francisca mm. in a airport and you get like a very rare moment where the two have like a frank discussion with one another and you're like, ooh, more of this, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Then... This is the game for you. Oh, that's that is uh, es- excellent news. Especially because in the aforementioned flashback case that I'm currently playing, mm-hmm. Francesca's there and she's like 13 years old and she's adorable. That's fucking hilarious. I never even thought she's not old enough. She's not old. She's not old enough for a whip, so she carries around a riding crop instead. <laughs> that's good work. Generally, what's your what's your what's your takeaway from it? You know, like I know you're trying to sell me on it a little bit, but. Uh, you know, isn't there like a second one of these for the 3DS? Uh, apparently there is. There is a sequel to this, so evidently it must have done well. Although Ace Attorney games always do well. It's just a good series. So uh, I'll probably pick that up at some point as well. And then uh, after that, I think there's Dual Destinies and Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright, which I'm very, very <laughs> yeah, curious that's... to play because I have no idea what the fuck that's going to look like. <laughs> Like, I guess you're in the middle of a courtroom and then somebody just hands you a Rubik's Cube and goes, the murder weapon's in here, yeah. solve it. And I go, oh, great. I mean, best case scenario, they it, they might liven up the investigation side of the game. You know, where you're like, follow the lines to figure out how many stab wounds this victim has. <laughs> mm, something like that. And what uh, element of metal was used in the knife. Well, you'll have to jumble around these equations to, to get the get the right solution in a game of Mastermind or something like that. I was uh, a little bit worried when I first started playing this game because uh, I was going, I was doing very well, and then I got to the the third case, I think, and then that was the game, that was the episode where I finally had to do a little bit of the trial and error because I didn't know what the game wanted from me, and I was like, "Woo, what a relief!" This is the familiar feeling yeah. that I was worried <laughs> I was missing. You don't want to breeze through it. Mm-hmm. There have been a couple of moments where I'm just staring at a screen going, what do you want from me? What do you want? <laughs> and uh, most of the time, it's me going, oh, eventually, fresh eyes and a glass of water. Oh, okay. Silly me. How did I not notice yeah. this? Oh, of course. And that's always a great feeling. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, oh, 
One other thing I also played, if that's the right phrase to describe it, this week, I did an audio escape room. Hmm. What? <laughs> so, have you ever played D&D over the internet? No, not yet. I, I'm, I'm making moves towards that direction, but it hasn't happened yet. So, how it's done is that you'll usually have an application like, say, Roll20, that's the one I've used in the past, mm-hmm. where uh, it has dice rolling mechanics where you can just drag and drop dice to make them roll, and you can put a map on a screen and have little tokens that represent the players that you can move around with your mouse and you can, I don't know, maybe play music or there'll be like uh, buttons that you can hit to say that you attack and it calculates all your character stats and things like that. Mm. Uh, This was the same principle applied to an escape room where there was a, you know, much in the escape room that we did last year, there was someone over an intercom who talks to you, basically acting as the, the DM of sorts. And who is accompanied by maps that are slowly revealed as you progress through the room. Mm. Rather than go into a different room, they simply take a black screen off of an area to reveal new parts of the map. And they will describe to you the things in the room. And they will have bits on the map that they can reveal to say reveal a safe. Or a key code. Or a series of photos of the employee of the month that you can use to solve a puzzle or something like that. And you will say to them, I go over to this stack of brochures, what do they say? And they will describe to you what they say. And you can use the contents of them to discern what the answer to a puzzle or something. Uh, it essentially is role-playing, just in a concentrated area with a, with a, a higher focus on solving a puzzle. Yes, yeah, kind of like that. I did it with about uh, two other people. And uh, one, the the person who DM'd it, it was kind of like a, I was part of, a, I suppose you could say a test group for this particular thing mm. to see how it went over. I was very pleased to be invited. <laughs> Got the letter in the mail. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I'm, I'm quite, yeah, I'm quite taken by the idea. Now it's kind of like a, like those old visual, uh, like typing adventures, like Sonk. Is that what you call it, or is it Sork? Zork. Is it Zork? You know what I mean, like yeah. you know, like. You, you are in a room. Type north. To walk uh, north. <laughs> yes, it's kind of like that. Only the 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 script is being read by a person, and you're presented with just the visuals, and you say, "I'm going to do this," and they go, "You do this," and here is the outcome. Very much like a DM. Yeah, that's that's super fun. That sounds like a great concept. Well, it seems like the obvious thing to do this year, you know, because of the T virus and all that. That uh, escape room companies are going to have to adapt by shifting to a digital format in order to, because you know, keep, keep the trend high, keep the hype high. Everybody's everybody's just getting aboard this whole escape room train. You can't let it. You can't let it die yet. Mm-hmm, certainly, because you know we were able to do it last year for my birthday, but we're sure as fuck not going out to a physical room to touch a whole bunch of knobs and doohickeys that a bunch of other people have touched in an enclosed space with like five other people. It's not happening. Nope. Not not anytime soon. Not until miracle jab comes in for that T fire straight. Uh, that was that was about my week. Yes, that, I mean I've been chipping away at Assassin's Creed Unity as well, but I'll talk about that when I'm done. Done. Sometime. 2021. All right, my week. Uh, so I already talked about Magic the Gathering Arena. That's been a whole busy day. But uh, mm. this was kind of a weird week because um, I, t- I have briefly taken a stint back to working working life, which uh, in, in my line of work is far few and far between in terms of mm-hmm. weeks required. Sh- shakes the foundation of your week. 
hours intensive. I was just basically spent the week scrambling at, at bits and pieces of content. But you know, there's enough here where I can go. I can I can make some lively conversation uh, on on various topics. But I've I basically had to try and etch out small diversions for myself about the weekend. Games took very much a backseat until yesterday, really. Uh, the TV show that I started this week with uh, is a HBO show called Lovecraft Co- County Country. Ah, uh, yes, yes. I keep thinking it's county because in my head. The area that they're talking about is like a county, like in mm-hmm. in our country, but country. Anyway, yeah, I gave this a sh- gave this a go. Did you, have you heard anything about this? Just... I've heard I've heard about it. I've heard that it's good. It sounds like it's up my alley, but it's on HBO Max, which is something in that I don't even is, is is that a digital streaming platform? Is that a I don't know what that mm-hmm. is. It's one of those one of those many things that Americans talk about that I don't really get the experience yeah, taken yeah i i uh-huh. mean here with our uk bundles we don't have hbo max but what we do have is sky atlantic so if you have sky tv sky atlantic is the is the channel that holds all the hbo content so i, I you know lovecraft country it was a thing that i had heard a little bit about I, like instinctively i was getting drips of feedback about it from twitter and i shut that shit right down immediately because opinions were all over the show and uh, I didn't have any idea what to make of it people seemed very reactionary I was expecting it to be relatively hold up relatively well but people on Twitter were super divided from my take alright Twitch novel led on me oh it's it's called like Lovecraft Country like it's it's own fan fiction basically <laughs> oh I see so I thought it was like a you know Lovecraft of an adaptation of a Lovecraft story, or multiple. Yeah. They like the, the they like to blend them these days. Yes, uh, that's pretty much what this does. It takes ideas from Lovecraft's work uh, and themes and concepts, but crams them into its own meta narrative. Where it, it it's a H.P. Lovecraft uh, expanded universe. I'll have you know, of course, Lee, that Lovecraft was doing expanded universes before it was cool. He called yeah. it the Mythos. That's right, that's right. Yeah, so what they've done is they've essentially invented a world where uh, Lovecraft, the author, is real, and he was inspired by a lot of the shit that he saw in uh, in, in uh, Ar- Arkham, or Artem, as the show says. That's a pretty classic way to go. There's been quite a few mm. things that did that. And our main character uh, is forced to go down there because his dad has gone missing in the area. Uh, he also happens to be a big into his Lovecraft lore and mm-hmm. uh, finds that that area it also happens to be a world of terrifying white people with prejudice against black people. Turns out it's man. Turns out as he's a black man himself and has traveled down with uh, black friends to investigate the whole thing that they are not welcome and that part of the horror that Lovecraft wrote about something, something, racism, something, something. They've tried to work his racism into the, into the fiction itself in a in a more mm-hmm. understated sense. Uh, I'll be honest. I got uh, two episodes into this. The first episode is really, really fucking good. It gets the whole idea, the concept of it, really, really well portrayed. You know, it's a it's a slow burn. It's it's got that get out vibe of like understated uh, or overstated actions against black people by white men in a certain era, uh, made horror 
in a in a creative way that kind of ties in old tropes and old stories. Really well done, uh, really effective. Uh, you got really uh, accustomed to the characters, and uh, and I, I think it, it genuinely does a great job of establishing the world, the character stakes in it, the relationships to one another. The, it looks like it sets up a plot that's going to go one way. It's going to be a bit of a adventure. Uh, but you know, it kind of puts everything in perspective and kind of gets gets the ball rolling in a in what seems like a really obvious direction. And then the second episode decides to calmly fuck everything that first episode did right out the window for reasons beyond anyone's understanding. For whatever reason, in this show, the slow burn, well paced lead in episode, the pilot seems to have been a way to sort of hoodwink an audience into this horror-slash-sci-fi-lore pulpy show. Mm -hmm. And to do that, they basically had to sell you on a a totally different show, then spent the next episode shoehorning all the elements they didn't put in in the first episode right into your face without any consideration of the natural flow of how this would look for someone who, you know, was actually sold on that first episode. (laughs) And... It became. It, it takes such a sharp turn into. I like to call it pulpy is to be kind of generous. It's just. It's like hard fan fiction. Would you call it a weird tale? Kind of. Right. So it's got that concept, right? Where you know, it's mm-hmm. it's an episode should be a self-contained story about one type of thing. Uh, what you know, like a concept or a cool horror idea. Uh, you know, and, and run with the sort of pulpy nature of uh, Lovecraft's work. Um, mm-hmm. That makes sense in my head. The second episode instead starts to sort of build very, very quickly with little consideration for how the audience might <laughs> look at this. Heaps on its own lore. Uh, without really, It's not really about the genre anymore. It's not really about the horror. It's not really about sci-fi. It's not really about the characters that they set up. It's about a, a crazy world. Which, uh, you know, just doesn't seem to have any explanation, just starts heaping on baffling decisions, baffling relationships between characters that you haven't met, whole cults with their relationship to your father, who's here? <laughs> here he is, he'll say hi, and here's that main character you spent the whole episode uh, building up, he's dead! It's a fucking mess, it just, it felt terrible to watch. I'm uh I'm looking at the Wikipedia page and apparently it has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so you seem to be in the minority here. I don't know. I guess they were all into it, I, which is fine. I read a lot of the comments from uh, people who watched it, and the people that were really into it were really into it. But I found it really bafflingly tone deaf, almost like cheap sci-fi TV show vibe, which is what it okay. has. It's got that sort of, you know, like. Yeah, did you ever watch Krypton, the Superman show, or any of the DC no. Expanded Universe shows? It's got that vibe. Like a shocking kind of cheapness to it. Almost, you know, just kind of goofy. And, and you know, like a concept that's too big for its format to make any shape or sense of. Very cartoonish. And maybe it gets better. Uh, I read a lot of the user reviews and people seemed to, a good proportion had the same opinion of me. Uh, that the second episode takes a dive into a totally different genre. And then some people who saw it out to the end said they they swung around on it and really ended up enjoying it. And some people who saw it to the end hated it and, and wished they hadn't wasted their time on it. And I just, I felt like I was so, uh, I, I was now railing against it so much that I would have been wasting my time to like, I was only going to be get. I was only going to get more sour as time went on. Hmm. I wonder. Could this perhaps 
I suppose I should ask, how far along in your Lovecraft deep dive did you get when you were reading the uh, the source material? I believe I finished six or seven short stories and uh, the Mountains of Madness, whatever you call that one. Mm-hmm. You got it right. Uh, so I, I read that. That's the that was the longest one I read, and then six or seven of the his shorter stories. Uh, so I mean, a fairly good sample. Not not deep enough to get all the references, but I mm-hmm. mean, you know what a shoggoth is, I'm sure. Yep, uh, that was actually in the first episode of. I know. I I, I peeked at the the synopsis. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh So yep, that I mean that shit was played out really well. Loved it. Uh, and I mean, I see references to it all the time. Like even in The Witcher, they had a whole segment. There's a whole chapter in the in the in the first game that's basically a turn into Lovecraft stories, and that shit's great. And you're just like, ooh, they're really they're dragging Dagon out into this. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a there's. Did you ever watch the Cthulhu episode of the Real Ghostbusters? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, it's kick ass, but it is not very Lovecraftian. In the in to give you an idea, like it's a great episode, uh, but uh, it's not very scary. Like uh, a a shoggoth turns up and they go, "Oh, it is a shoggoth," <laughs> and uh, the episode ends with Cthulhu rising and Venkman defeating him by. Let's see if I'm remembering this right. He like fastens himself to a roller coaster. And then, like, lightning hits the roller coaster, and, it, like, he spears Cthulhu with it, so the lightning hits Cthulhu as well. And whilst the roller coaster is in motion, he's, like, firing a proton pack at it. It's cool. It's kick-ass, but it's not very Lovecraftian, I have mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. I, I, the only reason I was asking is, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that viewed uncharitably... What I'm about to say may be seen as gatekeeping, but it is not my intent. I was just wondering if perhaps unfamiliarity with the source material might be the source of this dissonance in your mind uh, between what hmm. you were expecting and what you got. I don't think that's the problem. I uh, here's I don't think it's it's due to a lack of commitment to Lovecraft. If anything, it's yeah. I'm 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 not being like you don't get it, man. You need no, to read no. the books, uh, then you'll if, be with it. If you're a massive Lovecraft fan, first off, you'll probably love the fact that they name drop a bunch of stuff that I don't I don't know from some of the stories right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Depends how they name drop it. That's the thing, right? I think like it's not done with a sense of dread or creepiness or anything from the second episode on. It's almost a surreal goofiness. Surrealness I can work with. Goofiness. It varies. It can work. It can work. The first episode is a slow burn where it drags you into... And I'll admit, by the end of that episode, it's not exactly Lovecraftian either. It builds tension quite well and creepiness and a sort of a good dread when it's dealing with the racist stuff. It, it, mm-hmm. it, there's a connection there with the Shogoth that they play off that actually does work in general, but it kind of gets very action-heavy by the end of it. Very, very hollywood I mean, I liked how they managed to make a good pilot out of that. I don't know if mm-hmm. that speaks for the rest of the show in general, but I thought it was very engaging, and it did a good job building and earning the action at the end with the tension that it had right up to that point. The second, it's not surreal so much as understated cartoonishness. It's It's got that... American CW5 where they're just throwing information like hey welcome we're now in a cult and one of the cult- the cult's probably a reference to something in in Lovecraft you're like welcome to the cult we're going to go outside right now and 
milk this cow, but it's going to have a baby. But you're going to stay here. You're going to stay there and you're going to try and get out of your room. But there's a portal in front of your door and you can't get out. And the guy's banging at the portal. And then two minutes later, he can just walk through it. And they don't really explain that. And it's just kind of like, what What are they fucking going for? <laughs> pick, a, pick a lane. <laughs> like, is it surreal? Is it like supposed to be like, this is out of control. We don't really know what the scenario is. Is it a dream? Is it dreamlike? Lovecraft did a lot of shit like that where every, you're not really you can't really trust your own actions or your own surroundings but it doesn't feel like that it it feels like the idea they wanted was like a far more goofy exploration of like short form fan callouts to Lovecraft works but in in its own context they weren't handling it well so it was it was either made explicitly to be like a hey cool check from the fans Mm. Even though the tone was all over the place, so they wouldn't oh, appreciate yes. it. I'm seeing what you're getting at. I, I have a litmus test for this sort of thing, actually. Right. Which is, um, Help me out, okay, because I, so, I feel like I'm struggling to get across how bad this was. But like, I also you know, don't want to push so hard that you don't try it. <laughs> we, might be, we might not be thinking of the same thing, but I have, a, I have like a little test, which is, all right, so you're writing a Cthulhu mythos story. Right. All right. Uh, is Cthulhu in it? If the answer is yes, you have failed the test. <laughs> if he turns if he turns up and his appearance doesn't immediately herald the end of the story and an end of Evangelion kind of way, then you have failed the test. Other than dreams, if they dream about him, that's fine. But like if a if a great old one appears in a a, a terror in the sky and it starts raining blood and shit and an old one popes pops its head into this dimension and that doesn't immediately herald the end of the narrative yeah and like everything goes back to normal immediately afterwards then you have failed the test because that's not a lovecraft story I, yeah i don't think at least at least what i saw and i don't even think they were leaning into that i don't think Cavillo is making a, an appearance anytime soon i'd be shocked even for the direction they took it if if they just threw that at you could it perhaps be a, a sort of... You never watched the Ghost in the Shell TV show, did you? I don't think you did. No, I didn't. Uh, standalone Complex. It has... It very... It, I don't think it's the only show that I know that does this, that very clearly delineates at the beginning of each episode that this is either a standalone episode or it is a complex episode, because the show is called Standalone Complex. Clever, right? All right, cool. Where they, they just go, this is a Mystery of the Week episode, and this is an episode dedicated to the ongoing narrative, hmm. the ongoing conspiracy of the season. And they just at the beginnings go, this is one of the standalones, or this is part of the conspiracy, this is the arc. Hmm. Uh, could it be, perhaps, that episode one is arc and episode two is Monster of the Week. I would say that, but episode two also has the canon death of one of the main characters from episode one. Hmm. This reminds me, there's a couple of Alan Moore running comics now where he does Lovecraft stories. Hmm. Providence, it's called. And the other one is called Neonomicon, which apparently, in his own words, he may have went too far. <laughs> What the which, fuck uh, could that mean? I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's probably the most tantalizing marketing line that he's ever said. <laughs> I'm, I, I've been meaning to dip my toe into that. Maybe I will at some point. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. I think we should digress. <laughs> yes. Okay. The last thing I'm going to say is like I'm not saying that you know your your story should have a character having a mental breakdown the moment they see something spooky or see like a low-level monster, mm. but uh, probably my favorite encapsulation of 
the Lovecraftian mindset is at the very end of the Mountains of Madness, our two remaining explorers get into a biplane mm-hmm. and they fly away. They leave behind the ancient city and all the nasties that are within it. Uh, one of them, the one piloting the ship, just piloting the biplane, just keeps flying forward. One of them glances back at the city from above and you never, you never find out what. But apparently, he saw something that led him to just completely lose his wits for the rest of his life, and he spent the rest of the day, the rest of his life in Arkham Sanitarium. Just he saw something from very high up that just ruined him for the rest of his life, <laughs> and that's Lovecraft to me. That's what that is. Yeah, well, this ain't that for sure. I can guarantee it. But I implore you. I, I like. I feel like I've gone nuts now. Because I'm so bad at explaining what the fuck the problem is, but I, I implore you at some point to check out these episodes, this show. Just check it out. Find it by by extra legal means, if possible, if necessary. Just, I, I just need I just need your take on this. I just need you to see it. For me, the best uh, Lovecraftian TV show that you can see right now is Chernobyl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Last thing I did this week, uh, to kill some time, I got back into audiobooks, and I have a little update on uh, what you can play listening to audiobooks. Uh-huh. And uh, I found that Civilization VI is a really good pick. Yes, I imagine it would be, actually, because it's, you know, it's turn-based. So you can stop and listen to something that requires attention yeah. before going back to just... Yeah, that would be a good pick. There's no, there's no hurry. There's no rush to do anything. Nope, there's no rush. I think the decisions also. There's only very rare occasions where these l- tiny micro decisions. The difference between winning and losing is is one action. You know, a lot of the times you can kind of get around making little slip ups, or you can pick up on something you forgot to do next turn. You can you can kind of you you kind of just keep, you click away mindlessly, almost making little small steps towards progress ticks that side of the brain you feel good you feel comfortable uh and meanwhile i found i was listening to uh jonathan franzen's the corrections i got through the entire book in two days on audiobook uh and i played civilization for what must have been six or seven hours of that and uh i found it really really comforting but, uh, and i only had to pause every now and then to really like okay something dramatic is really happening here and you know i want to see how this plays out before i do this more pressing part of the game and uh, I enjoyed it so much that I immediately moved. I'm going to keep playing Civilization VI. Uh, and uh, I like the audiobook approach. So I, I moved on to my next one, which is uh, Yahtzee Croshaw's Differently Morphous. Oh, he's skipping straight to, what was that, the fourth one he did, I think? Let's say so. Hey, he's got loads and loads of books out now. Like, he's got two uh, no, of those re- Adventure I- for Cash, Will Save Galaxy books. He's got Mog World. He's got Jam. He's on the third one. Yeah, I've read Mog World and I've read Jam, and I did quite like the two of them. Yeah. I should get back on that bandwagon. I should get the, the the one after that, whatever that was. I think it might be Differently Morphous. I think that was the third one he did. I think Differently Morphous is the... It's only come out in text this week, so it can't be that one. Hmm. Maybe it was uh, We'll Save Galaxy for Cash. I think that's yeah, the that's, one after that. That sounds about right. I take it that he, uh, the audiobook is voiced by him, of course. It is, uh, yeah. The, the th- I, I have to say, I'm, I am enjoying Differently Morphous uh, as an audiobook. I found it very jarring at first because <laughs> it's weird to hear Yahtzee Croshaw, like, act, I guess. 
Oh, okay. I, I suppose you you never uh, watched his less drawn out series, so maybe you're not used to the you know just him talking like a normal person, like slowly and perhaps doing acting or role playing or doing anything like that. I've watched a good couple of shows where he's just doing his own own thing, and there is a difference between how he presents zero punctuation and how he gets on as a as a person. Uh, which is good and healthy, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but of uh, there is a, there is a market difference between. I've never really heard him do character work, I guess, and it, it was kind of it was a weird jar. You don't think after like so many years, like over a decade of listening to a dude, that he's got like he can kind of step into something like that as as seemingly easy as he has. But you know, once you settle in, I think I think that's maybe just me with audiobooks anyway. I always have like a weird thing. The first chapter with a with a new narrator is always a bit of a alright, let's see it. Let's what's 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 your kinks, what's your what's your flavor? you kinda have mm-hmm. to acclimatize a little bit. And I found from the soft Midwestern drawl of the guy who was reading the corrections to uh Yahtzee's sort of harsh British tinged accent was uh, was a, a bit too much of a, a, a switch early on, but uh, so far I'm about four chapters in. I'm really enjoying it. It's very, uh, it's it seems like a more kid friendly thing than I I remember Mog World being, uh, but mm. the comedy in it is well, good, and that's that matters a, a great deal more of whether what the fuck its audience is. It, it's kind of like a lampooning of Harry Potter a little bit. Mog World was very much a. Uh... A, a deliberately Pratchett-esque take on the MMORPG, that sort of thing. Mm. Well, but, you know, by that point, I'm sure he was very much aware that the only people who were going to be reading this book are people who are already familiar with him via his other activities. But uh, I suppose now that he's established himself as a, a novelist a little bit more firmly now, he can afford to perhaps take things in slightly different directions. Definitely. I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. I've been thinking about it since the last... Uh, chapter I heard. I've been thinking about that world. I've been thinking about some of the jokes, and I'm like, that's uh, so far, it's good. It's good. New little practice. Civ six audiobooks. Anybody's interested in killing time? Harry, long term listener, first time caller, <laughs> contacted uh, us on Twitter the other day to say that he thinks he might have a little touch of the lizard brains, the the crystal lizards, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was enjoying the uh, the uh, our, our tenuous question segment from last week. Just on. Uh, I was about to say uh, we we haven't done that this episode because yeah, we're well, we're just so content rich. We're I guess we're not we're not phoning it in this episode. That that will be your litmus test for whether or not we're phoning. Yeah, it in. does I it have s- a thoughty <laughs> wishy washy question? That's true. That's true. What is a video game? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, Harry said um, he also finds that he has to to do something mindless while listening to things or catching up on TV or so on. Uh, so I'm not I'm not alone. There are dozens of us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th- there are people out there who buy games specifically based on how easy it is to get all of the trophies in them. Sad, <laughs> hollow people. Oh my god! I did. You know, I've considered it once upon a time when the crystal lizards were at their most intense, mm-hmm. uh, when they were the most scattered, the most difficult to catch, uh, and you were just I was looking for an easy fix. You know, I was out in the streets. A couple of a couple of pennies in my pocket. Plit, suck mm-hmm. your dick for Cars Three. And I, I needs it. I needs yeah. it. You know, Kung Fu Panda Two. Give it to me, Daddy. Uh, I I I I made sure to stay uh, quiet during that segment to make sure that audio gets isolated. In any case, I yes, there are many people out there who would have went. 
How much gamer score can I get from this? What? That that little? Fuck this. And it could be like the greatest game in the world and they didn't care because they didn't get their points. Yeah. They need that dopamine. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've been there, man. I'm only getting out of it. I'm going to quit the stuff now. You can go to your support group. You need to find yourself a podcast where, uh, you know, content is going to <laughs> suffocate if you cling to the one game for hours, uh, days, weeks at a time. You gotta move on. It's, it's working out for me. Uh, well. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I tell you, man, I ring them for all that they're worth, for all those ju- juices. <laughs> Gotta get every like a- single diary update in Unity. That's when you'll know you'll mm-hmm, finally absolutely. have the, you can have a final opinion at long last. Mm-hmm. Alright. Anyway, was that your week? That was my week. Brings me right back to my Narutart days. Yes, it does. See if you can't squeeze in like a sound clip there. I'm glad that I'm glad that I was able to convey what that was. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I can find like the MIDI file and line it up or something. <laughs> All right, news. Did you hear about this Cave Story fan game? No, I didn't. Right, so it's out. I know that Cave Story is being offered for free right now. Yes. Even though it's been free for some time now. Oh, let's see this. Might be worth a look at that. So. Uh, yes. Here we are. As Wooly Madden of Wooly Versus, uh, of um Castle Super Beast fame, so adequately put it. Shut the fuck up. If you're making a fan game, and it's really, really cool and you're doing it as a labor for love, and it's using somebody else's IP, you need to shut the fuck up. You don't talk about it. You don't tell anyone about it. (laughs) You shut the fuck up until you're done, and then you release it, and then you can get cease and desisted, or you can go, oh, my bad, G, that's fine, I'll take it down. But the genie's out of the bottle, it's too late, people have it by that point. Mm -hmm. So you need to shut the fuck up. Alright, so the uh, the story on this case, right, there's uh, somebody's been working on a cave story, Engine 2, apparently, which is a hmm. fan game uh, sort of set as a follow-up to the original cave story, and uh, IP owner, or so it seems, the details are a bit blurry on this, Nick- Nicholas, I think that's how you mm-hmm. say that. Which is the publisher, not the developer. The developer is a guy called Daisuke Amaya. Yes. Otherwise known as Pixel. Mm-hmm. He's the OG indie developer. And as far as ev- most people are concerned, they believe the IP still rests with him. Mm-hmm. But as, as in terms of the property's constant publishing over the years, it's all been Nicholas. Nicholas. Well, Nicholas have recently issued this fan game a DMCA, as companies with interest in these things are wont to do, because that's just how it works. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, I don't know, it's been a little weird, this one, because... The allegation is that they're taking code from the original yeah. game, so there's a... It's not just an intellectual property thing, there's a there's a, a plagiarism thing at, at play because of they're taking code. It's weird because Nicholas has been a, a company that's been generally forthcoming with fan projects in the past, which is why it feels like it, it's a bit weird this time around. Apparently that is a company... It is a company that has faced allegations of a toxic work environment, including uh, management encouraging being racist or something. Yes, yes, this is that boss. Isn't it their founder 
Tyrone Rodriguez. He's, yes, he's from IGN. Uh-huh. Shock of all shocks. Hmm. Uh, allegedly. Yeah, of course, allegedly. Uh, but the, yeah, apparently the allegation is that this fan game is using some of the source code of Cave Story, which seemingly Nicholas owns or has claim over in some regards. It's, it's a little blurry. It's a, it's a bit of a mess. The uh, developers seem to be going for uh, the defense that they they actually aren't using the code. They just have mm-hmm. designed... Uh, sufficiently derivative to not be a problem. They're working with an engine that is of their own design and all of the code within it. It's just been working within an inch of its life to look and sound and seem exactly like the original cave story, but it actually isn't based on the original code. Their approach is... They're actually being pretty open with Nicholas. They say that they, they they just want to have a discussion about it and keep talking because they have received support from Nicholas in the past, and they don't they don't see this as something that just uh, a confusion by the looks of it. Uh, anyway, it's, a, it's just a mess as usual. Another fan game has to worry about its own existence, and uh, it is that case. You just want to. Keep your head down. Allow me to share with you an important public service announcement, courtesy of Willie Madden. Uh, you may stick that in the show notes. I think it to be important reading for internet literacy, <laughs> particularly <laughs> as it comes to video games. I'll, I'll link that in the bottom of the of the show notes. And uh, if somebody could pass that on to the guys making the Cave Story fan game, that'd be good. It's too late for them, but alas. Just in case anybody out there is thinking of making their own Undertale spinoff. I f- I'm pretty sure Toby Fox owns the creative rights to Undertale, doesn't uh, he? Almost, he was almost certainly, but... Nah, you would, he wouldn't mind. You would think Pixel also owned Cave Story, so... Who's to say anything anymore? Hmm, I suppose so. But yeah, uh, elsewhere in the world... Uh, new, new, the world ends with you game announced this week. Oh, was it Neo? The world ends with you, That's or something right. like that. Looks pretty good. Did you ever play the original? I know it's been on the to do list. It's on yeah. the DS game to do list that has been held back by the game that shall not be named. <laughs> In fact, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not giving it that power. Bradley default. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It, it, it defaults on its own legacy. Mm hmm. Very good. Very drilled. Uh, uh, uh. Well, uh, now that my 3DS has been liberated and I'm playing the Edgeworth game that I've been meaning to play for a while, I think The World Ends With You is next on the to-do list. Or maybe if there is a, a port of it to another platform. There is. Because apparently the, the the controls for that game on the DS are monstrous. I've, I, I apparently... People have problems with the later versions of the game because it also, uh, for whatever reason, doesn't. It just doesn't feel, or it, it doesn't feel like it was designed the way it is because they have had to sort of amalgamate the weird two-screen, two characters and control system into its own device. Uh, it's mm-hmm. out on Switch and it's out on mobile phones. If if anyone's looking at a modern port, but apparently it kind of misses the mark uh, for what the original felt like and. I don't know. I, yeah, it, it does look tricky, but it, I don't know. It, it also looked fun. Like, the gimmick was part of the reason why it was designed, so that's why you want to go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never played it. Uh, and I recently, I literally looked up, after watching this video, like, what what online prices on eBay for World Ends With You looks like these days. And they are going for straight up brand new release prices these days. Naturally, of course. The best that I can hope for is that I can go trolling through, uh, uh, you know, Sex, CEX, my go-to second-hand mm-hmm. games 
area. Yeah, get lucky. Until then. I eventually hit upon it. Anyway, new the world ends for you. Look at a little person, eh? I guess this. Oh, Lee, you've fallen for the trap. You fell for it. What was that? The people. The world, uh, the people who say the world ends with you looks like Persona, when they say that, what I really hear them say is, I'm 15 years old and I have no frame of reference for anything other than what came out in the last two years. Let me be more specific then. Mm-hmm. The aesthetic has come down to a Persona 5 thing. They've even got faceless people walking through the streets in a sort of very bright, colorful, but also minimalistic style. It's almost cel-shaded. The 3D mm-hmm. take on Shibuya, which is also exactly where Persona 5 takes place, has been stripped into an open-world 3D roaming adventure, which wasn't like the original The World Ends With You, but also looks shockingly like the daytime parts of Persona 5's aesthetic. That's why I bring it up. Not because I don't understand that it's just a 3D Japanese game. Yeah, they all look like that to some extent. I just feel like this one... They have the footage of the main character walking through the crowds of faceless people... And that's exactly what they used for the debut trailer of Persona 5 to show you that the world was as open as it was. So is this a sequel? I don't know. Looks like its own thing, to I be sp- honest. Looks like it's it takes place with the same the same like it seems to make references to like clans or basically like a Kingdom Hearts thing where like I think they're called Reapers, probably introduced as a thing in the first game, kinda like the Heartless would have been introduced, and they carry on mm-hmm. throughout all the games regardless of the main character. That kind of thing seems like seems like the world had with you. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that's yep. Yeah. Uh, but hey, if you can't afford that that uh, that old game or you know don't enjoy it, uh, it also seems to be the news seems to be coinciding with the uh, announcement of the World Ends with You, the original game being adapted to anime that's coming out very soon. Hmm, I'm getting a real Danganronpa adaption energy off of this new story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Although, so long as the world ends with you, the anime isn't required reading for the next entry in the game <laughs> series, I suppose we're safe. I'm sure they can't help themselves but double dip. You know, oh, it's the exact same story with slight additions. Alright, uh, a foundation belonging to the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia has announced their intention to acquire a majority holding of SNK. Alright, I saw something about this. They're like under the guise, I, I'm sorry, legitimate standing of a charity? So it's a non-profit organization, so I have no idea how this is supposed to work. Uh-huh. I, I, suppo- I suppose the, the pointed question that we all should be wondering at the end of this is, if we were to buy a King of Fighters game henceforth, are we now supporting a war criminal? And the answer is, I still am not sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> oh, I guess we'll, event, we'll see this story as it develops. I have no idea what to make of this. I guess this is why I didn't... I had no idea what to make of it when I read it. The whole idea that it was a not-for-profit thing just threw me right off. I was like, somebody will write a news story later on that will explain this in better detail, but for now, I'm a... I'm I'm a I'm a let it sort itself out. Mm-hmm. For now, I will do what most people do, and I will wait for Polygon to write an article telling me about how problematic this is. <laughs> uh, I only have one more. Again, I didn't. I was not. I wasn't wired in this week. I was out of the it's loop. Fine. Gorillas, the band, their music video, the latest one for the track "Valley of the Pagans." was taken down for featuring GTA 5 footage, potentially over fear of spoilers for the latest DLC. 
could just be intellectual property shenanigans, though. It's hard to say. Right. Weird. The uh, the music video is just them in a car in the world of GTA driving around. And, and you, initially, you would think, oh, it got taken down because they didn't clear it with uh, you know the intellectual property, DMCA, and all that sort of thing. Uh, supposedly, Rockstar was down with it, but was down with it, but 2K was not. Shocker! Uh. You know, if there was a penny for every time we heard that story, <laughs> which is public developer down with it, publisher not down uh, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but supposedly the the video in which they drive around contains footage of a unreleased DLC island or something like that. And supposedly it was taken down over fear of spoiling this. Hmm. I guess we'll, uh, when the DLC comes out, they will be allowed to put it back up. I suspect not, but I suppose we'll have to see. It's part of their new album, Sound Machine, which is really good, and you should all go look it up right now. Lee hates gorillas. <laughs> I'm, get- I'm getting in there while I can. Oh my god, I do not hate the gorillas. Or gorillas. I own a Gorillaz album, actually. I own Plastic Beach. <laughs> yes. you. Uh, you I, I remember the day that you told me about that, which is, hey, uh, you know you know the gorilla, that Gorillaz band? You're like, I got Plastic Beach. It's good. And I never heard hide nor hair from <laughs> you ever since about it. In fact, no, that's not true. I remember saying to you once at, at your your previous accommodations, I said, hey, a new Gorillaz album came out, and you said, I do not care. And I said, very well. And that was how that conversation went before we moved on. Well, that's true. I, I don't care when their new albums come out. <laughs> I'm not that ingratiated. But, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I liked it. It was fine, you know. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. Aren't I allowed to just yeah. like things, Lords? Yeah. Do you have You're to whip me over? To like things. It's all part... Listen, motherfucker. Somehow, I don't understand how, but I... Managed to, through osmo- osmotic pressure, I made you listen to... Sorry, I persuaded or otherwise convinced you to listen to a Kraftwerk album and you liked it. And the me of 10 years ago would have considered that to be unthinkable. Mm. So, you know what? You've just given me too much power. Yeah, I'm yeah. going mad with power. Yeah, the potential is limitless at this point. Gorilla seems mm-hmm. like a like a, like a softball. Like you can get that across the line easy. This motherfucker listened to Autobahn. I'm like, What? How did that happen? And he liked it? Fucking love What dimension are we living in? Autobahn is great. Such a good album. I actually prefer it over radioactivity. Understandable. It's got a, It's just a five that I like more. Which, when it comes to craft work, is really what you're in it for. Which which mm. five appeals to you? Because they're all different. Depends, depends what mood I'm in. I'm in. If I'm in it for the sort of Chernobyl <laughs> industrial... You're looking like, for doom music. Yeah, I, I recommend radioactivity. 60s... <laughs> yeah, Trans Europe Express is just a concept album about them taking a train across Europe, and that's it. And it's great. That's fine. That's a good concept. Something quite punk about that. Tour de France is a concept album about the fact that Karl Bartos likes to cycle, and that is it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my new. Th- those are my that's new stories. Good. All two of them. That's plenty. Good stuff. Uh, all right, I got loads. Let's let's burn through. Uh, Avengers got its. <laughs> Did you see? Square Enix looks down at the paper at their at their their the report that says the numbers for Marvel's Avengers, and you know that no matter what that number was, the answer was always going to be the same. Do the same Not thing. Nearly enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like we hear this story every single time Square Enix pours their heart and soul and hard-earned money into some new IP or anything really. Tomb Raider, they didn't like it. Latest Final Fantasy is not nearly good enough. 
Marvel's Avengers. That brand recognition can't possibly be enough. Well, it's uh, it is because, as Jim Sterling so often and eloquently puts it, to the, to companies, it is not about making a lot of money. It is about making the mathematically possible, like the theoretical maximum amount of money mm-hmm. that is possible for someone to make. Yeah, to make all like of the, the money. Uh-huh, to make all of the money that it is in theory possible for them to make, no matter what the cost. So anything less than that is disappointing to them. According to this article, uh, at this uh, time of of review, uh, Avengers has failed to make back the subs- the the money poured into it uh questions are being asked around it's uh it's marketing being exorbitant i think uh-huh. that that might have that might have yanked a lot of the money the answer to that is yes it is always yes in fact i'm pretty sure half the budget of all video game development goes towards marketing in the triple a space anyway uh-huh, uh-huh. so they estimated about 67 million dollars not adding up here to sort of cover the game development cost slash marketing budget which <laughs> Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, if the game if the game exists for a long while, I'm sure they'll make it all back with their stupid DLC and in-game fucking uh, transactions. Be sure because this game is a multiplayer platform, uh-huh. uh, and you're meant it's meant to have an online community to support it. Uh, it may very well go into the death spiral. Mm. There's not enough people playing it. People who do want to play it go to try to play it. They find that there's nobody online, so they don't play it. And it just spirals downwards down the drain because there isn't enough people playing it online in order to support what meager community there is. Yeah. this That's what killed Battleborn. I would just hope this would be another excellent high-profile example of Stop making these fucking live service live games! Live service! Yeah. They're driving me n- I would love to play an Avengers game if it was a fucking Avengers game. I want to play a Kamala Khan game that isn't shit because she looks cool. She does. It should be very easy to make that game. It exists. It's called Sonic Unleashed. <laughs> oh. Not the best comparison, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, the concept's good. It's th- I just don't, don't give it the Sonic team. <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> uh, buh, buh, buh. I have a theory about this sort of thing. Like, uh, have you ever heard of the the paperclip super AI? That thought experiment. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell, but re- refresh my mind. If you uh, if you invent an AI, it's about an AI that's sole purpose is to create paperclips. Uh-huh. It's like a sort of a cautionary tale about you know potential super AI, sing- you know singularity stuff. If you create an AI that can improve itself. A self-improving AI that's sole purpose is to make paper clips. It will make paper paper clips. It will gather whatever resources it has available to it to make paper clips. You know, entire forests will be cut down to make paper clips. Hmm. Uh, people who try to stop it will be halted by hook or by crook because it prevents it from making paper clips. It will eventually convert as much matter as possible towards computational materials in order to make itself more efficient at making paper clips until the entire planet earth is just one massive paper clip making factory because it's just a self-improving ai with no safeguards put in whose entire purpose is to just make paper clips with no other priorities mm. that sort of thing mm. i like to think of corporations in the same way where it's just an ai that's purpose is to make money so why aren't they good at it <laughs> mm-hmm. they are good at it. they're just not infinitely efficient at doing it it's because of you know it's all the it's all the people the machine is made of people that's why that's why it's inefficient inefficiency there cut that out Mm -hmm. all right what else we got uh 
Masahiro Sakurai uh, had comments on the PS5, and I thought that was cute. Yeah, he said he liked it. That was yeah, it. well, <laughs> that's how I find out. He, har- he harped on its uh, its low SSD. Not to uh, not to not to engage in a little whataboutism, but uh, what's the Switch SSD looking like? Oh, I mean, it's what what SSD? It's not even solid state, uh-huh. is it? I have no idea. I don't own one. I'm pretty sure not. You tell us, Lee. You're the expert. Uh, so the whole thing, the problem with the PS5's drive at the moment is it's not very easy or at all possible to, uh, to expand it. it, I think is the thing. Mm. I think that they, whatever compatibility required to get that done isn't isn't being met at the moment. Another early adopter problem. Uh, whereas you can store games with a switch onto a micro SD card uh, and that's how you expand the internal memory so I have never really had problems with it because I had a micro SD card on hand and uh, you just mm-hmm. I have about 30 odd games on the thing sitting there at any one time which is way more than enough and actually probably should trim it down quite a bit but the uh, starting point for the switch Jesus Christ I mean like it's about 30 gigabytes something like that it's awful mm. and uh, having just gotten Maria her new one I was able to get I think three three big games onto it on its own memory i managed to cram breath of the wild in there i got naturally i got um the board game thing the 51 worldwide games uh naturally and uh and mario odyssey and uh just enough room left over for the sns or uh, the snes classics thing all the bases are covered and then uh you can i've got the card for skyrim so skyrim's on it too is the uh is this the one of the the, the new line of switches that don't have the controller drift problem it's the new line without the controller drift problem and it's also the one without the 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 the, the, the sort of selling gimmick we already have our 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 house switch you know the the big boy that can go that can do the switching part from tv to 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 handheld They've come out with oh, the, yes. the Mini, which is now a condensed, handheld-only version of the console, which, have, uh, having test-driven, it... is a far more comfortable and enjoyable experience for what I actually primarily use the thing for, which is just a handheld console. Uh, I, I suspect that's where you and I differ. For me, it stays in the cradle because I want it on my big TV. Mm. However, um, is there a version of the Classic that has the controller drift problem fixed? I hope so. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the whole thing was a modern wave of the console came out about a year or so that doesn't have the problem. It was early adapters, as usual, being fucked over. Ah, I think your problem is being wary of buying secondhand controllers at this point. Hmm. All right. Oh, uh, as a side note, I heard about this story, but I heard of by way of the Saved You a Click Twitter account that just said he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be honest, is the optimal way to experience news, and I wish there was more channels for that for other publications. I feel like the news media could be greatly cleaned up. Mm. Not by us, apparently. Maybe that should be the change. We're, we're bloating yeah. it out more than they've even written. Oh, yeah. We, we, have a, we have a time mark to hit. Yeah, we're not a news channel. We're here to entertain, question <laughs> mark, you. Opine? Opin? Uh-huh. What's, what's the pronunciation? Sounds good to me. Let's keep going. <laughs> All right, uh, another news story. You see Mila Jokovic's character has been inserted into Monster Hunter World. Into, like, officially? As a new event, two, a two-part event uh, crossover with the upcoming film, you can play as Mila Jokovic's character, Captain Natalie Artemis, uh, for two missions. One called The New World, and the second called To Our World. Uh, they've rendered her in the game. 
thus crossing into the cross-media void far further than Resident Evil dared to step. I'm watching the trailer now. I'd like you to envision my face. I won't describe it. <laughs> it annoys me that that looks good. The trailer for it? I know, I know. But then that's really because Monster Hunter World looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, do you know who Roman Reigns is? Uh, no. I don't think so. Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns is a wrestler. Wrestling gets a lot of play on a podcast where neither of us watch it, but Roman Reigns is a wrestler, and uh, he is the face of, you like this person, don't you? Here comes Roman Reigns, he's the face, everybody cheer for him, <laughs> dead silence. <laughs> We gotta push Roman Reigns for SummerSlam. Lots of Roman Reigns getting pushed. He's beating old. He's beating like uh, popular wrestlers because he's so good. You guys, we gotta get him over. We gotta get get him in good with the with the audience. Dead silence. Booze. Fuck Roman. We don't want Roman. Bring back Undertaker. You know shit like that. To the extent that WWE, whenever they take the recordings of stadiums or live shows, they dub them over with crowds cheering whenever Roman Reigns <laughs> enters the stadium. <laughs> like, the guy doesn't deserve it, and, you know, by all accounts, he seems to be a cool guy and a good wrestler, but they tried to push him so hard, and it's very clear that the audience doesn't want him. And whenever, at, typically, at that point, what you're meant to do is turn him heel mm-hmm. so that you make him a bad guy, so that the audience hating him becomes part of the mm-hmm. show. But they refused to do it. They wanted him to be a face. And they wanted him to be popular. So they kept pushing him. Uh, that's how I feel about Melia Djokovic as a person. Yeah, any day now. She's going to sink into your heart. You're going to be like, that's the version of Monster Hunter I associate with. This is what you want, isn't it? No. No. I want I, I, I want to not have to think about Melia Djokovic and her terrible husband <laughs> ever again. Yeah, if possible. But now they're bleeding into our world. Uh-huh. Much like uh, her character in the film bleeds into the Monster Hunter world if if the synopsis is to be believed. <sighs> I can't even summon the energy to be angry. <laughs> 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 That's what happens when they wear you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the face I was making watching that trailer was it was like the the Rich Evans face. <laughs> please, please tell me. You have another news story. Oh, yeah, okay. I know we like the end on bummers, but that wasn't a bummer. That was a wet fart. All right. Uh, have you seen the, the latest uh, DLC for Fennec Immortal Sleep Horny? No, I have not. Truth be told, uh, Fennec Immortal Sleep Horny has not crossed my mind at all <laughs> since the last time we mentioned it on this podcast. Yeah, that's about right. I watched a couple of reviews, most people not liking it. They seem to be going, well, two of the DLC actually have decided to forego Fennex as a character for some reason. Maybe because he's unlikable, mostly because they've apparently exported development of the DLC to different studios, one being in China, and the Chinese studio are making their DLC in Chinese mythology instead. And it looks good! It looks so much better! I guess it's because uh, Chinese mythology is relatively untapped as far as Western media is mm-hmm. concerned. We said the same thing when uh, that one video game of the uh, the trailer of the the Hindu mythology, and we're like, we want to see more Hindu stuff because uh, I don't know shit about Hindu mythology. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm still to play that. Get around to it. Whatever it was called, Ra- Raga well, or something like I'm, that. Ooh, I'm looking at uh, where I'm at the bit of the trailer where it starts doing the Chinese stuff, and I'm like, ooh, see, it's mm. nice. It's pretty. It's nice to see a triple A AAA game made in China that doesn't just look like a mobile game that was ripping off something like ripping off Overwatch. It's true. 
This game had a different name, a much better name, but it got changed because of copyright bullshit, didn't it? It must have. I think it was supposed to just be called Immortals or something, right? Because that's what it is. Mm, Immortals Phoenix Rising is a brand colon nightmare of a fucking Uh title. Oh, uh, Phoenix. It's just an awful name. Phoenix Rising. This looks alright, but it's just... It's so... It's in a weird situation where it looks good and it looks really pretty. But it just like like water, it just glides off my mind mm. and just into like like uh, you know those those um those sprays that you can spray on something that make water just glide right off of it. Yes, uh, like a thin layer that makes water unable to stick to a surface. Ex- that's exactly it. My mind is just unable to act as a receptacle for this. It's just whoop, just drips it's right off. Pre-sprayed mind. Uh, last news story I got. Cyberpunk 1066 delays so catastrophic, they're now forcing other games to delay in, in its wake. Oh, uh-huh. yes. Uh, now, this game is not a game I'm really aware of, but apparently people were looking forward to it. A game called uh, Mech Warrior 5 Mercenaries. A Mech Warrior game is delayed because of Cyberpunk? What's it was coming out early December, and then when Cyberpunk's latest delay has pushed it forward, Mech Warrior, the team behind it, Decided to shuffle their way into 2021 and said, we ain't competing with that shit. Oh, yes, it's release date politics. Mm. I I suppose that's true. A game that delays so catastrophic, it's now having massive <laughs> effects on the on the plans of other studios we're like we're i think we're pretty safe to do, to launch in december yeah i mean like it'll be a niche like winter sale pickup for a bunch of people all the fans are excited and then they're like half our fans are are going to be uh massively into either robotic aesthetics or rpg elements and uh we cannot we cannot compete with cyberpunk's massive largesse let's just clear the way get out of the get out of the wake <laughs> i'm just gonna take a look because uh, mech warrior is like a it's a simulator isn't it or is it more arcadey like a it, i know it's a mech game like a, a mecha game where you're in a cockpit with like lasers and shooting rockets and shit hmm. i'm surprised i haven't heard more of this because uh, a lot of the content creators that i frequent are big fans of mech stuff so hmm, this looks, looks good this looks all hmm. right I'm only looking at it myself just now. Yeah, no, it's a uh, sort of cockpit sim-like, you know, like your spaceship sims almost. Was Mech Warrior the series with the big dumb peripheral? That was like a, a no, series of pulleys, was, or what, what was that? That was Steel Battalion. Steel Battalion, or uh, was it? There was no one, wasn't there? There was Steel Battalion. There was Mech Warrior, and there was was it BattleTech, maybe? Oh, the, fi- the, fi- the the five steps of Warhammer's kicking in, I think. <laughs> We're never far enough. Steel Battalion, otherwise, on the other hand, is a absolute fascinating, bizarre story. It's got like weird connections, to, like from software and all of Capcom's main elites at the time. Well, they made it, didn't they? Oh no, I'm thinking of Armored Core. From software made Armored Core. That's the other one I'm thinking of. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No. No, I'm confusing it too. Maybe Armor. No, but Steel Battalion is definitely the one with the control system. Maybe Armored Core had something too. No, it's something totally different. What is it? What's it called? It is from it is from from software, but it's it's more like a mech shooter kind of thing. <laughs> Jesus, we went off the rails yeah. here. We went down a very very strange rabbit hole here. Anyway, Steel Battalion, if you recall, had a sequel for the Kinect. Yes. It actually had a real se- it had a real sequel for the Xbox. But then it had its a reboot called Steel Battalion Heavy Armor yeah, for the Connect. Uh, apparently, it was a good, 
okay, so what I've heard is it's a good Connect game, but it's a shit game. Well, I heard it basically didn't function because they they were trying to turn all the things into Connect. And by the way, that that Connect game was designed by From Software in a weird crossover. Yes, this is before From Software was consumed as the uh, the Dark Souls company. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, what a what a tangent. Where the fuck did this go? Anyway, Mech Warrior Five delayed by Cyberpunk. And uh, if you've ever wondered, Factor Man, do they know anything about? Mech games? No. No. Yeah, you know what? Now that I'm looking at it, it's like the Oculus Rift controllers. The, the, those two controllers you get with them with the, the Steam thing as well. They do feel like uh, very Pacific Rim-esque. They do, don't they? It seems like such a natural fit. Yeah, that's making a lot of sense to me. I- I'm watching this video of a relaxing, smooth-voiced British man explaining to me the mechanics of this game, and it's it's doing things. <laughs> oh, sorry. Here's one other thing I did this week. Have you ever heard of a, a games journalist called Tim Rogers? <sighs> Not offhand. I want you to click to play that video, and I would like you to glance at Gawk the... at its three and a half hour yes. runtime. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> what All what right. we have here is a man who's even deeply embroiled in brain worms than even I. This is a man who's taken brain worms <laughs> to an art form. This is a man, Tim Rogers, who one time during college faked his way through a conversation regarding Doom about some later levels in, like, the third uh, episode because uh-huh. he had only played the Shareware version. But he, he during college, he was asked to provide an opinion by some computer friends in uh, one of the later episodes, and he faked his way through the conversation, and he has uh-huh. carried a weight on his shoulder for decades since then that he is a doom poser and in order to make up for him being a doom poser he decided to make a review of doom which in which he plays every single version of doom that exists as best that he can uh that sounds maddeningly entertaining yes this is a man who straddles the line of genius and insane person <laughs> This three and a half hour review of Doom is, I'm fairly certain he spends maybe 20 minutes talking about Doom the game and actually reviewing its contents. The rest is some kind of gonzo journalism (laughs) rabbit hole. He spends the last 30 minutes reviewing a review of Doom that he read in a magazine that rubbed him the wrong way. And to be fair, this is a fairly infamous review. I'm pretty sure I read about it in Masters of Doom. In fact, he refers to Masters of Doom fairly frequently in this review, which makes me feel very wired and it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm part, I'm, I'm in the know, Lee. This looks to scratch the same itch I got from the watching 
H-Bomber guy talk for over two hours about Pathologic, a game I would never play in my life. Yeah, I watched him. I watched his three-hour video about Ruby, a show that I will never watch. I also watched that, which I have never watched. <laughs> I could be a, a Ruby and Pathologic poser. This was a guy who wrote pages and pages and pages and pages, like entire like books worth of essays that were game reviews for his publication back in the day. And people thought that he was pretentious, but it turns out he may just be insane. <laughs> or maybe he's just been so pretentious for so long, he's he's just, he can't tell which is which anymore. Uh-huh. He, he became the mask, as it were. I was seriously con- contemplating assigning this review as homework, but then I looked at three and a half hours and I went, no, I, I, I couldn't inflict that upon Lee. Well, maybe for next week. Maybe. Give it a watch and see how far you get. (laughs) It might be the thing where I just don't like his style or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like this is very much a litmus test for this is the sort of thing that you are either delighted and fascinated by or you utterly detest and you want nothing to do with. Mm, Perfect. That's that's primo Fecta Man content. Mm -hmm. Tune in next week find out what I felt about a video essay that that's very long. <laughs> Hell of an episode. Yeah, no, 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 no